I always love to hear you sing, but today, wow. Wow. I'm thankful for special days of worship like this. It points us forward uh, to uh, those days when we'll have eternal days uh, to be able to worship Christ together. As that last song said, thousands of generations or thousand generations joining together to sing praise to our great God. I almost lost track of where we were in the service during that last song, but uh, now we're going to open the Bible to Mark chapter 16. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Oh, for the day when we will have glorified bodies so we can sing those songs without losing our breath and uh, rejoicing together. I had to stop singing in the last song, didn't want to blow out my vocal cords. So, the Gospel of Mark is a short gospel. I had the opportunity to preach through it a few years ago. And uh, although it's short, we know it was, it's action packed, it's filled with action after action, with the connecting word immediately. Jesus goes from one scene to another. The gospel starts out with a very short introduction, shorter than any of the other gospels, Mark chapter 1, 1 through 13. Mark begins this action-packed gospel with the words, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Son of God. After the body of the gospel, uh, we come to the shortest conclusion uh, in all of the gospels. Uh, I think it it covers Mark 16, verses 1 through 8, which will be... Uh, the sermon text that we consider today. As we come to the close or the culmination of the gospel, it will include the events described in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How appropriate. If there is no resurrection of Jesus from the dead, then there is no good news. And so as we come to Mark's closure, his conclusion, we come to a brief but also a very powerful account. I want you to look down in your Bibles at Mark 16. I'll be reading verses 1 through 8 for us. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us? From the entrance of the tomb, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you shall see him, just as he told you. And they, the women, went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we begin uh, this service today, we would pray, or this preaching part of the service, we would pray that you would be honored and glorified. None of us in the room are worthy uh, even to hear 
of such wonderful sacrifice in the person and work of Jesus Christ, your son. Most definitely, none of us are worthy to stand behind a pulpit and to proclaim words about the son. But Lord, I pray that as we gather, you would help us to leave with a true grasp of the hero of this final narrative of Mark's gospel. We thank you, Lord, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at the closing portion of Mark's gospel, uh, we see that Mark closes by emphasizing the actions of two peoples. Mark's first emphasis is upon the women uh, who are mentioned in the text and their journey as is found in verses 1 through 4. So verses 1 through 4 are the women's journey. Here we read of three women who are no strangers to Mark's gospel. These women uh, are the ones mentioned in the previous chapter, in chapter 15, verse 40, also verse 47, uh, where we find out that they both stand in the distance afar off at the crucifixion of Jesus, and they also, at least two of these women, not Salome, but the other two, are present uh, when Jesus was laid in the tomb on Friday night, just before the Sabbath. So we pick it up there, and in our text we learn uh, that at first opportunity, perhaps around 6 o'clock at night on Saturday night when Sabbath regulations are lifted, these three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, buy spices and perfumes to anoint the body of Jesus in the tomb. They did not embalm bodies like we would typically think of in our world today. They would simply pour perfume on the dead. And it's likely then that they desired to finish the burial process for Jesus that was interrupted by the Sabbath regulations uh, a day before. But next, early in the morning, before full daylight, these three women rushed to the tomb to anoint Jesus. What we have recorded in these verses are the events in the earliest hours on the first day of the week, Sunday morning, uh, when the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. Now I want to point out just really two things about these women that might not be obvious unless we take the time to actually stop and think about them for a moment. First, I would point out that these women greatly loved Jesus. Do you see that? Can you feel that in this text? They greatly loved Jesus. We can see their love for him, not only in their presence at both his crucifixion and burial, when other people were scattering and wandering away like the 12 disciples, but now we can see their great love for him three days later. Their great love for Jesus can be seen in their purchase of the expensive perfumes and uh, spices that they would pour on his body to offset the stench of his dead corpse. But their willingness to finish his burial rites, even now, three days after his death, reveals their great love for him. They greatly love Jesus. We see their commitment to properly care for the one that they love, even when it would be, I'm sure, an undesirable task. Throughout all my years of pastoral ministry, I've seen men and women demonstrate time after time 
love for their deceased loved ones, sometimes a spouse, by caring for them and their physical body after they die. I've seen that. But perhaps nothing like this. Three days later, these women come to do a job that perhaps no one else would want to do. They come to anoint his body. They greatly loved him. But I would also point out this. While these women greatly loved him, to this point, they did not have faith. Although they loved Jesus and were deeply committed to him, what we've seen so far is only adoration. It is not yet Christian faith. The faith, by the way, that each one of us are called to. You see, uh, earlier on three occasions in Mark's gospel, we have record that Jesus not only predicted his death, he also forecasted his resurrection. Uh, Perhaps you could turn there, look at Mark chapter 8, right in the heart of Mark's gospel. We'll see this three times. We're just going to read one verse or so in each setting. Mark 8, verse 31. It says, and, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elder and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Look one chapter later, Mark chapter 9, verse 31. Uh, same verse, by the way, Mark 9, 31. Uh, it says, for he was teaching his disciples and saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Mark 10, verse 33. Mark 10, 33, the last one we'll look at before we go back to our passage. Mark 10, 33, saying, this is Jesus, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Jesus had told this to the crowds. He had told this to those who were following him. He had told this privately to the disciples. The women likely had heard this prediction before as well. Yet they go to the grave to mourn a death, not celebrate a resurrection. Although they greatly loved him to this point, they did not have the faith that God would call each one of us to have in Jesus being raised from the dead. You can go back to our passage now. Once the women get to the site... There is amazement on their behalf. They're amazed that the large gravestone is rolled away. And that leads us to Mark's description of another person uh, in verses 5 through 7. Okay, so, so far we've seen the women's journey, and now we're going to see the young man's message. Look at verse 5. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you shall see him, just as he told you. We'll stop there. 
Here the women are met by a young man, Mark says, dressed in a white robe. Mark describes him as a young man, but the other gospel writers let us know or reveal this, this is actually an angel. Okay, and this is not a conflict in the Bible because angels often took the form of human beings for a time. This young man, Mark says, is wearing a gleaming robe of white. I think his clothes that are mentioned here make it obvious that he's different than any other young man. He is an angelic being. Now Mark's emphasis, however, is not on uh, what the man is wearing. It's not on whether it's an angel or a young man. The, the emphasis is on what his message is. And I want to point out two things to you about what the young man's message is. First, he tells them not to be frightened. You see, the women were alarmed at the whole scene in the tomb. I'm sure we would be as well. This is what happens when people come face to face with an angelic being. They were alarmed. And so uh, he moves to reassure them quickly. He doesn't want them to be frightened. And so he says, don't be afraid. But then he explains to them what happened. And in just a few simple words... The angel announces why Jesus of Nazareth and his body is no longer in the tomb. He says, quote, he has risen. He is not here. And with these few words, Mark tells us about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, there's no vivid description here of how it took place. Just like there's no clear, vivid description of how each moment of the creation of the world out of nothing took place. We do have Genesis 1 through 3, but we're still left with, how did God do that? How did he do that? This passage, we're not told how God raised Jesus from the dead, just that he did. And without that, there's no good news in Mark's gospel. That's the women's journey, verses 1 through 4. That's the angel's message, verses 5 through 7. But they are not the main characters of this narrative this day. If you look closely at verse 6, you will see who the main character is, although he's absent from this narrative. Look at verse 6 one more time. says, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. The most important character in this story is not the women or the angel. It's Jesus. He had been brutally beaten, bruised, and murdered on a cross Just a few days before. If you had been there, I'm sure that you would have wept. Some of you would have screamed. Perhaps some of us would have vomited at such horrific violence being demonstrated and put on a real live human being and one for which we love so much. 
It would be almost unbearable for us to watch the crucifixion even with our modern eyes that are desensitized to violence through movies and the news and theatrical effects. There's no theater here. It was brutal. It was real. The lacerations across his body, the spear driven into his side, the sharp metal spikes remaining in the wrists and the hands of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But if you read here, we find out that the angels proclaim that death could not hold him. The angel announces he has risen, or it could be translated, he has raised This is a divine passive, right? For those of you who studied this before. God, the Holy Spirit, raised Jesus from the dead. The passage earlier in the scriptures, Paul the Apostle asks, he says, Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? His question is a good one. You see, the sword of God that Paul worshipped and served, he knew had all authority over the created order and all authority over death. The God who created the world out of nothing, one miracle after another, is the same God who raised Jesus from the dead. The miracle of miracles by the power of God. I love what G. Campbell Morgan says when he describes this victory that God uh, pronounced at the resurrection. He said, Jesus of Nazareth has been raised from the dead. He had emerged from all of its material bondage and bandages, had passed into a new life. The same but entirely different. He had proved himself victor over death and conqueror over the grave. You see, as this day started, Jesus' body lay lifeless in the tomb. It had been three days since his heart pumped blood throughout his human body. It had been three days since his lungs expanded to take in any air. It had been three days since his brain had any activity. His body lay completely lifeless. Yet in a miracle, in a moment... God's spirit shot life back into him. In that moment, all the forces of death and hell and Satan and all his hosts could not hold him down. Clutch him as they would, clench him however they could, grasp him, they could not hold him down. In that moment, Jesus inhaled air and his heart began to pump And with that miracle, everything changed for sinful men and women. Death could not hold him. God was mightier than the grave. The gravestone rolled away and Christ emerged from the dead. How do we respond to something like that, men and women? Like, I don't know. I'll sing till I can't sing anymore. I'll blow out my vocal cords. What do we do? Thank you. I like how the one old poet songwriter helps us maybe a little bit here. Remember the song? 
Were you there? Thank you. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? His response? Sometimes it makes me tremble. Tremble, tremble. But you know how that song ends? Were you there when he rose up from the dead? Sometimes I feel like shouting, glory, glory, glory. So can I get a glory this morning? Glory. Glory. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Perhaps others should respond here today by seeing the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the Holy Scriptures and and know that this is the only way that they could be saved from their sin and the consequences of their sin being death and hell. Matthew 13, verse 49, Jesus makes it very clear. He says, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and will separate the evil from the righteous and will throw them into the fiery furnace and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth you say we came here today we thought it'd be a nice morning good weather good company with fairly moral people great meal on the agenda preacher are you really going to leave it there with hell My answer is yes. Yes, I am. Unless you repent, you will go to hell. The former times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Unless you believe that Jesus died on a cross in your place and was raised by God to defeat death for you, you will go to hell. How you leave here today is ultimately your decision in these moments. This can be a fine morning for you. The finest that you've ever experienced, but only if you believe in Jesus now. And you turn from your sin to him. Will you do that today? Will you do that? Several years ago, I asked a man, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And he looked at me with fear in his eyes, and he said, I can't believe that. I do not, I cannot see how anyone would raise from the dead. That man who was in good health in the moment, by all outward expression at that time, died within the week. And he died in his sin to suffer the consequences of hell. May that not be anyone here today. I'm looking at more eyeballs than I normally look at when I preach. May that not be any one of you. May not one of you hear this message this morning about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and fail to understand that he did this for you so that you could be saved from your sin and his consequences. This could be the finest of mornings for you. Will you believe in Jesus and turn from your sin?
Well, the story ends in verse 8. One more verse in Mark's narrative account. Look at verse 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Here Mark's account of Jesus' resurrection, this paragraph, this story, ends with yet another account of the women and their response to the events of Jesus' passion. In chapter 15 and verse 40, when he was crucified, they watched from a distance. When he was buried, chapter 15, verse 47, they followed from a distance. And now chapter 16, verse 8, when he's risen, they run away frightened. We had so much hope for these women, but their initial response is not good. There are at least seven indications that I found in verse 8 alone that they're fearful and anxious to spread the message from this angel to others. They're trembling, they're seized by fear, they run away. And when the miracle happens or they get reported a miracle, these women don't say anything. I couldn't help but think, why does Mark end it this way? Why does he end it in such a way? And I, I think it's because Mark wants his readers to be frustrated with the response of this women, to say things like this. What? How could you not go and tell everyone? Everyone needs to know this. You feel that? Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you feel that? How could these women be this way? How could they not tell anyone? Will we be known for announcing the events of the miracle of miracles, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? As Paul concludes in 1 Corinthians 15, Oh, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. May we go forward and tell everyone about this miracle and its impact upon them. Let's bow before the Lord in prayer. Spend some time thinking about this text of Scripture and what it means. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, if you have never believed that God raised Jesus from the dead by the same Holy Spirit who created this world out of nothing, if you have never believed that God did this, I would encourage you in your heart to pray to the Lord, to cry out to him in silent prayer, and to say, God, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for sending him in human flesh to be born, to live, to die on the cross for my sin, and then thank you for raising him from the dead. If you've never believed in Jesus, I would encourage you to believe on him in this moment in silent prayer and to repent of your sin. Recognize your sin. Your sin demands death. Your sin demands an eternity in hell under the wrath of God. Would you turn from your sin and believe on Jesus 
so that you can be saved. The Bible says, if we believe in our heart, that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Then to my brothers and sisters here today, I just encourage you to to really think about this for a moment. Do Do you really believe in the resurrection? Here we are singing it. Do you really believe it? And if you do, will you recommit to proclaim it? Will you recommit to proclaim it to your neighbor, to your friends, to your co-workers, who unless they hear this message and repent and believe on Jesus, they will be damned. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Lord, as we leave, we struggle with knowing how to respond. How to, what can we do to, to pay you back? And our answer is nothing. We can't. But Lord, as we close in song, may our hearts be filled with joy. May we sing freely, rejoicing in our great Savior and your love for us. May we all in our own hearts cry out together today, glory, glory, glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.